With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to this episode of Fishology. We're here on Fishology. We go in depth on Marlins players and advanced stats and an analytical way. So if you love analytics, you love advanced stats, this is the podcast for you. And as always, I am joined by Eli Sussman, Lewis Adeo Wise. How are you guys feeling for this special episode on the Marlins best hitter? Hey, this is the. He's the content that just keeps on giving. Like you could just pick at this as much as you want. This could be every episode. It could be every couple of weeks. There's just new angles to dive into on Luis Arise. He's a fascinating guy even before he came to the team. And he's just become a more extreme version of himself this year and a better version of himself. So there's a, yeah, this is, I'm looking forward to this very, very much. Yeah. I think we're seeing the apex of his skill set now and, Nice to see that that's coming in his first season in Miami, um, especially after that trade with Minnesota. So, yeah, he's been a blast to watch and a blast to cover, and I'm glad we're going to get to talk about him tonight. Yeah, and w- with Arias, you look at maybe some of the most basic stats, like batting average. He leads the entire MLB with that, almost 40 points above the next highest, and Ron Acuna with 333. Arias currently at 378. But, of course, in this podcast, we'd like to look at it in more analytical way, stat casts, advanced metrics, and you just look at everything encompassed with um, Luis Arias. And probably the most uh, eye-popping thing is when you go to um, his Savant page, um, it's his K-rate. K-rate, even the 100th percentile. He is number one. He is 
the lowest in terms of K rate. Lewis, talk to me about Arias's, um his way of not getting struck out and being walked at the hundredth percentile in Major League Baseball, which is almost, which is always incredible to say, which is just mind blowing to even say that. Yeah, no, it just furthers the narrative that he is just an anomaly in today's game because, you know, his style of play was something that probably would have played up more back in the 80s. But um, I think now, because he's such an outlier, it's just refreshing to see a guy who manages to put the ball in play as often as he does whilst getting on base as often as he does by way of hitting. And, you know, he's not like – I mean, he's similar to a Tony Gwynn who I've made several comparisons to in the past. And you can even mention Rod crew for a former twin, even like Paul monitor, Paul monitor, a hitter from the similar mold as a rise. Um, I think what's interesting though, is he's a little bit more disciplined than those kind of guys. Whereas they were free swingers in the sense that they wouldn't strike out a lot, but they would make a lot of bat to ball contact and Arise does the same, but he's shown that he's while the percentile rankings may not suggest he's the best at drawing walks. Um, he's done a, decent job at it this year although you know you look at his his walk to strikeout ratio he's walking more than he struck out but if you really you know cross-examine that you see he's been intentionally walked five times so he's about one to one um i think that's where you're going to kind of sit and then if you look at his career averages i believe it's something like 151 or 152 walks and about 146 strikeouts so like i said he's about one one but yeah just the fact that he doesn't hit for a lot of power um you know, if you, in today's game, when home runs are like what teams are prioritizing when they're building offenses, because that's, you know, a thing that does play up in the postseason. It, it's just, it's very, it's not, it's definitely fascinating to watch a guy flirt with these kind of Williams-esque, Carew-esque, Molitor-esque numbers or old, old 1993 John Olerud of just like, you know, it's June, I'm hitting 400 and I'm also doing it by way of I'm not striking out at all. So, it, it, I mean, he's he's very unique in today's game. Um, you know, there's there's really aren't many guys like him, and I would definitely say he's one of one today. But um, that's all I can say so far. I mean, Eli, I'll let you elaborate a little bit more on what makes Arise so special. Just so such a, again, such an outlier in today's game. Right. The only way you could maybe be disappointed in a rise is if you read too much into that WBC game for Venezuela three months ago when he hit two home runs. It was the only multi-home run game of his pro career. And he thought, wow, you know, if he could add a little bit of power to what he already does as an amazing contact hitter, then he could have a career year. And so he is having a career year, except that it's even less power than he had last year. Last year, eight home runs. This year, just one. It was during that cycle game, and it just barely snuck over the wall. That was almost two months ago. That even more than two months ago that he's gone since he's hit that lone home run. For him to create as much offensive value as he has without hitting any other additional homers, it is a total outlier. It is he's kind of breaking the system and like changing what we feel we know about baseball value because of his ability to just pile up hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. After hit in so many different ways without even hitting it to the wall or hitting it over the fence. He's been that strikeout rate. As you said, it's even better than what it was in his previous years when he already was leading the league in that category, he brought it down even um, more. So I did pull up this graphic. This is also from a baseball savant looking at all these individual pockets, both inside the strike zone and outside the strike zone, your whiff rate, how often people swing and miss, him compared to the other left-handed batters as a whole in the league. 
it's amazing how many zeros there are. There's so many areas both inside the zone and then even when he chases outside the zone, he just does not swing and miss. So that, it in turn, a lot of those turn into hits, but more so it's about also like wasting pitches that could potentially strike you out. Pitches, when he chases out of the zone, he continues to get his bat on the ball and he like fights his way to get a more hittable pitch and to do damage against it. Now rise. Down the line, fair ball. That'll get a run home. Arise into second base, an RBI double. What sticks out is this, especially on pitches inside, his ability to bring his hands in to either defend himself in, or even to amazingly turn those balls into hits. It is completely different from the typical hitter. Um, you can't pitch him in, and... He um, there's somewhat of an approach where he doesn't really chase outside the zone, and occasionally he'll take. He shows more of his patience on pitches away. So it's a really fast. It's such a fascinating player because he uses the opposite field enough, but it's sometimes taking pitches that are down the middle or even inside and inside outing them the other way. Um, so that approach is it just has worked for him so incredibly well. For this is a player that led the American League last year at a 314 batting average. Um, I think there was naturally some enthusiasm that maybe he could have even go higher than that now that the shift has been entirely eradicated and there's more limits into how defenses can actually align themselves to defend him. Anyway, you slice it, this has been better than the Marlins could have hoped for, and it is a very important reason as to why the team is better than projected to this point in the season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, and, and Russell Rye is, uh, you mentioned him doing it without the power. Um, and, you know, when you look at the Savant page, you look at the power, You it, it's really right there. It's a guy that has high contact, will get on base, and, and maybe not the guy that you expect to have 10, 15 home runs, but if you can have a guy that can, I can't believe we're saying this, average 400 during the year is just insane to think of. Uh, but I want to go ahead and talk to Lewis um, I'm looking at some of his stats now. You look at his WRC plus runs, runs created plus um, 100 is average, and Larissa Rise is 47 percent above league average at 147 now, according to FanGraphs. So, talk to me a little bit about WRC plus and Arias. I, I believe at one of the top in Major League Baseball in WRC plus. So I was talking to Eli ahead of the show, and I kind of outlined to him that if you look at his exit velocity, and we have to factor in that, you know, Arise, as 
excellent hitter as he's been this year and pretty much for the duration of his career because his career OPS plus is 123. OPS plus is pretty much just baseball references answer to WRC plus, um, the metric that Fangraphs uses. You know, I, I've always kind of suggested that hitters may be said percentage above league average, but they may go about getting there in different ways. And I think when you look at Arise's exit below, he's about 88.2 average exit velocity um, from ball off bat skills. You know, he's of the 260 qualified hitters, he's about 180th, so he's that lower third. He's flirting with that lower third threshold. Um, and then if you look at the guys that are next to him in that area, you're talking about guys like Javier Baez, Jose Abreu, Yohan Moncada, Ozzy Albies, Carlos Correa. All of those guys, I think a similarity that I see with all of them and Arise is you look up at the end of the year, and if most of them have their, say, their average or in a guy like Baez's case, a good year, you'd expect all of them to be in that same neighborhood of production. They just kind of go about doing it differently. You can expect all of them to be about 20% better than the league average hitter. Again, they're just doing it a different way. And the way that Arise does it is similar to Tony Gwynn. If you look at a lot of his highlights, and I have some of them pulled up right next to me right now, he's doing what a guy like Gwynn and uh, Carew did. He found that 5.5 hole between short and third, and he was exposing it. And, you know, when he hit for the cycle, the single that he got to do it was right on the ball right through shortstop, right between short and third. So it's just, you know, it's it's finding holes, and that's something that he does better than anybody else. Now, I don't think we can really have this podcast conversation about Arise without discussing the fact that he was hitting 400, 403, I believe, at the start of last week, which is insane. I mean, like, if any of us have been watching Marlins baseball long enough, remember when Chipper Jones came to Miami ahead of a June, beginning of June series when he was batting like 408, like, that was amazing because Chipper Jones went about doing that with power and plate discipline and, you know, all these kind of things. Um, even now where like Arise isn't doing this with power, because again, there's one Chipper Jones and there's one Ted Williams. It's just fascinating that he continues to be so above average offensively, despite the fact that I think the skill set that he has just is so it's so rare in today's game. I mean, because if you look at a guy like Hanser Alberto, who similar to Arise in the sense that he does not strike out, he doesn't hit the ball all that hard either. But on a league, on a zero, on a 100 or lower scale, he's a pretty consistently below league average hitter. And profile wise, they're the same kind of player for the most part. So, you know, I definitely think there's some luck involved. But I think when you talk about just the sheer prolificity of, in which he does get hits, um, I think you just kind of have to tip your cap to him. Like it's almost just like a guarantee. And a lot of it too could be attested to his approach that he's talked about um, with us and with many of the reporters and that when he takes batting practice, you know, he's specifically aiming to hit line drives. His objective isn't to hit home runs. And I think if you have a guy whose primary objective is predicated on line drive contact or just, you know, hitting the ball at the middle or hitting the ball to the other way, that, that I think will pay dividends. And so far it kind of just has, and for pretty much for the duration of his career, it's why he is 20% above league average, because you know, the whole point of this exercise is he gets to those above, you know, those offensive thresholds, 20, 25%, 30% above league average in different ways than guys like a Brandon Nimmo or the aforementioned people that I just talked about. It's just, it's another reason why he's so singular um, in the, in the grand scheme of a 
three true outcomes game that baseball's kind of devolved into offensively. Yeah, you touched on the line drive approach. I don't think this is a concept we've gone into on the show. Tightness of launch angle. There's certain there's a certain trajectory that you want to hit the ball, and he has absolutely mastered it repeatedly. Now he does hit ground balls at a slightly above league average rate. That's why he's grounded into a lot of double plays this season. Most of the time he gets it in that sweet spot just above a ground ball. And this is a histogram from a baseball savant. It just shows in these chunks, you know, his launch angle from launch angle could go deep into the negatives. It could go from negative 90 to 90. 90 is hitting it straight up in the air. Negative 90 is hitting it straight in the bottom. And there's very little times where he hits it straight into the ground. And there's even fewer times where he actually pops it up. In fact, statistically, he has not hit an infield pop-up this entire year. We're pretty deep into this year. We're getting close to the halfway point of this year, and he has not hit a single infield pop-up. Now, we usually don't like put these in the same bucket. People are conditioned to think that strikeouts are the worst thing that can happen when in actuality, a pop-up is almost identical to strikeout. It doesn't do anything good for you. It is a non-productive out. And for a rise to not strike out ever, and also to not hit any pop-ups ever so far this season, this is a reason why he does so well on balls in play because his balls in play just have a different trajectory to them than most other guys. He has mastered this swing, no matter where the ball is, I, I showed the, uh, the swing and miss areas before. You know, he likes the ball inside. He generally likes the ball up, but he can make adjustments. He can adjust to wherever the pitch location is, and the actual angle of his bat remains so consistent. It's amazing how he contorts the rest of his body to like keep his actual swing in the same consistent direction and and be able to put it in places where it's more likely to get hits than, you know, the typical batter is. I just, I throw this up for context to also compare it to uh, another Marlon, somebody like Gene Segura. So Gene Segura came to the Marlins with like a similar profile where the Marlins are betting on him to put a lot of balls in play and find a lot of hits. And we know that for him, this year has been disastrous. His batting average is half of what arises is. A reason why is because there's a lot more ground balls and there's a lot more steep fly balls that just don't turn into anything. When you're a guy that, as you touched on before, is kind of below average and average exit velocity. If you don't hit the ball particularly hard, then the high fly balls aren't going to have a lot of value. They're not going to carry anywhere. Uh, Arise just knows what he wants to do, and he is gifted enough to be able to replicate that swing no matter where the ball is thrown to him. That's the reason why he consistently throughout his career has really high BABIPs, and even though you can't expect it to continue at the current pace he's on right now, you can't expect it to continue to be above what the expected stats suggest. And that's just a lot of fun to have somebody whose production kind of transcends what you think is their raw talents or raw physical tools um, because he does in this really unique way that uh, I think is, is, is a lot of fun. And it could also be really effective as he has now shown over a pretty big sample. What I find even more oppressive, too, is the we are the world approach he takes to pitch types. If you look at every um, primary pitch type that he's seen about 15 to 20 20 um, plate appearances to end on, I think he's hitting over 300 and just about all of them. And he's what I find most impressive is just given the the stuff that we see nowadays. And we talk about this a lot. We espouse on, you know, pitchers are better than ever from a pure fit. Um, 
you know, velocity generating standpoint. Um, I'm sure spin rate has probably never been higher now than it was, say, in the 90s or when got you know when guys were throwing you know you had a lot of your sinker slider guys but the slower end on that spectrum he i mean he demolishes breaking balls like look what he does on sliders look what he does on off speed stuff like changeups you know he's hitting he's slugging almost 600 on sliders and like that's in an era when guys you know like the slider the sweeper and all that you know like his numbers against the sweeper are you know smaller sample but they're not as good but just the fact that it doesn't really matter what you throw him, like he's, he'll hit it. And again, I think when you have just this, this kind of just God given ability to just not miss when you swing it, you know, I think you'll run into instances like this where those things just happen. It's, it's it is amazing. It's just like the, the dirt, the versatility in which pitches he gets hits on is just honestly it's so incredible because it's like regardless of what you throw him he's probably gonna hit it put it in play and better more often than not at least in baseball terms he's gonna probably get a hit out of it so it's just like you know like there's the plan of attack with him is so difficult yeah and with the rise i'm looking currently at the pitches he's seen so far this season um, the percentage and his batting average. Um, the most pitches he's seen, 355, over 37% is the seamer 349, sinker, 14%, 303, and then probably the bigger numbers and maybe most impressive, the slider and the changeup. He's both seen um, around 10, 13% of the time, 464 on slider, 436 on changeup. So he is, when he's all these pitches, and it's almost the same outcome, with every single one, he's getting hit. He's getting on base over 360, 303, close to even 450 average on some of these pitches. It's just really incredible to even see it. Then you even go to a curveball, and that is is also insane. 444. So, like you mentioned, Lewis, he's doing it with every pitch. Um, again, probably the one you mentioned, the sweeper, is the pitch that maybe gets him in a little more trouble. He's batting 167 on 29 pitches thrown with the sweeper this season, but that's just such um, a small sample size there that it's nothing really to even be worried about. But when I mention these pitches, is there anything that really stands out to you when you look at Arise and his different approach to these pitches and all relatively have the same outcome? It's the fact that the off-speed stuff are better than the fastballs. That's why they come up with run value is to kind of compare it to league averages. You're expected to put up better numbers against fastballs because this also includes strikeouts. This is this is all-encompassing. These are all your plate appearances. And with other guys, the strikeouts is a significant chunk of this. It's a significant piece of the pie for everybody. The league average of strikeout rate is in the low 20s. That's a significant portion. And a lot of those are more often to come on secondary pitches, the pitches that move more, the pitches that are thrown out of the zone. And with the rise, he just he totally disrupts the fundamental understanding of how you interact with different pitches because he doesn't swing and miss at anything. Even when he swings outside the zone, he's chasing these secondary pitches outside the zone. He either spoils them or somehow puts them in play. And that's how you get good numbers on secondary pitches if – you're you're just not missing them if you're able to uh, it's he's a freak he's a total freak to be able to make such a natural split second adjustment to these different pitches and get his bat on it so that's what sticks out is that he's even better against he's good against fastballs and he's just 
as good as anybody against secondary pitchers. You could say that he's I'd – ha- I'd have to, like, do some more research to put it in a bucket. I would say if you just grab all the secondary pitches, all the non-fastballs, like, he is the best hitter, he's a, he, even in terms of, like, an overall value, in terms of if you were to put his WRC plus against non-fastballs, he's providing more value than anybody else. Um against those those are the pitches that are supposed to have the low batting average and you're supposed to miss and recently when he's been striking out those have been on fastballs more than anything um he when you do him when you throw him anything outside of your very hardest velocity you're doing him a favor and it's usually not that simple because this stuff moves in such filthy directions these days and they come they all these pitches look a little differently because he faces so many different pitchers even within a single series um, his his eyesight and his coordination is totally off the charts. And so that's what sticks out is the non-fastballs. Uh, if, if you were a pitcher, if I was a pitcher, I would go, I would just throw as hard as I possibly could and just hope he, uh, he, he can't catch up or he can't put it in play um, because movement is is just totally irrelevant. Uh, pitch movement doesn't matter because he has that, just freakish ability to track that movement and adjust accordingly. Yeah, and with his stats, I'm also looking at some more of the percentile rankings in terms of Savant. And, you know, I'm looking at it year by year, his rankings, and probably the biggest one that really stands out to me is one that maybe took the biggest leap there uh, is his chase rate. Um, In 2019, 78th percentile, 2021, 80th percentile, 2020, there was nothing there. Uh, 2022, 78th, and then you go to 2023. His trade rate, even the 24th percentile. This is such a big um, difference there. Lewis, can you tell me a little bit more on his chase rate and maybe what made that big jump from 78th percentile in the MLB in 2022 to now? He's in the 24th percentile in terms of chasing pitches. Well, I mean, we've talked about it earlier this year. I mean, even his walk rate, it's not. You know, it's not incredible. I believe he's at about, what, the 27th or the 37th percentile. So he's still relatively below average. But for a guy who is as aggressive as he is, he is walking a little bit more this year. I mean, he obviously, when he's striking out as little as he is, he's going to inherently walk less. And I've never seen it before. But, you know, he's been intentionally walked five times. I've never seen a guy who whose modus operandi at the plate is so not predicated on power that Pitchers just don't want to throw to him, and they just want to allot first base to him because they know. And again, if you watch highlights of his swing, regardless of where the ball is thrown, he'll meet it with his bat. And his swing doesn't look all that different on it. Um, As far as chasing less, I think it's just a matter of him maybe wanting to be a little bit more patient. I mean, we've seen that with guys, you know, in Miami this year. Soler was a guy who walked a decent amount, and he, you know, while being injured a lot last year, um, still walk a decent amount. Now this year he's kind of doing the same thing, but he's, you know, he's chasing a little bit less, um, still more than a rise, but, or, you know, a rise, maybe just kind of, he, I think when you talk about guys who go to the play with a plan, there's probably just nobody who goes to the play with a plan better than he does. And that's going to manifest in his ability to kind of just lay off pitches that he doesn't think, you know, he wants to stab at now. 24th percentile it makes you think he's swinging at just about everything for the most part you know like that's the lower end of the spectrum um but it kind of you kind of just doesn't matter in that regard because he's just you know there's a 98 percent chance that if he does swing at it he's gonna put bat to ball and with what he's done this year 
that hasn't been an issue whatsoever. So, I mean, you kind of just have to continue to let him do what he does and hope that he can sustain about maybe 80% of what he's doing right now because you can't expect 380 to, to especially in this environment, to last for you know 150-plus games. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and with Sarai's just doing everything there, um, I wanted to go ahead and, and talk about some um, his other stats here in the percentiles. One that really uh, stands out to me, you look at his expected on-base percentage in the 87th percentile now to 95, um, batting average, expecting. So um, I wanted to ask you, Lewis, a little more about his uh, expecting batting average, or Eli can, can jump in here. Um, just how do you see – his expecting batting average and maybe his batting average going through the course of the season. It is something where you can relatively see him um, contain this, this continued success. I mean, now as we're currently recording, he's on the middle of a slump, but with, with Arise potential and everything going on, you look at his, his uh, fan graphs, they have him around a 380 average. How do you guys see him in course of the rest of the season? And you look at his metrics. Is this something he can relatively keep up, or do you see some sort of maybe decline potentially with Arias? There is a disparity between that actual batting average and the expected. The actual is a 378, and the expected is only 326. The thing is, at a certain point, you just look at somebody's track record, and he, as young as he is, he has a long track record of overperforming his expected batting average. Last year. He overperformed by 28 points. Uh, the year before, it was like a smaller margin. It was more like six points. But overall in his career, um, there's like this 20-something point gap in his 27-point gap in his career between the actual and the expected. Um, and I think that just goes to his very particular feel for exactly where he wants to hit the ball. It's not only the trajectory, as I touched on, but also – where physically, like uh, the actual part of the field, John Birdie had a really cool anecdote. I think I saw it in, I'm trying to remember exactly what article it was so I could give credit to it. I think it was Jesse Rogers of ESPN just describing how in batting practice, um, they during a single round, which is just maybe five swings for a rise, they, they have a rise purposely drives the ball directly at birdie so he could work on his shortstop defense. And he does it in the course of five swings. He goes five for five in terms of hitting the ball directly at birdie on five consecutive swings. Um, his, his bad control and is just otherworldly. And if you have that, you are going to do a little better than expected because these projections, they just, they look at the trajectory of the ball, but not always the direction of the ball and arise can control the direction of the ball he's he's shown that he can do that so especially in this new world where defenders on the infield have limited options in terms of where they can position themselves i think he's going to consistently can overachieve in that area yeah of course one of the biggest things that maybe when arise was coming here was in terms of lone depot park and how he's playing there um 
Lewis, how did you see um, a rise maybe coming to the season with Lone Depot Park? And now do you see it more um, LDP um, helping him rather than maybe hurting him in terms of just how big the outfield is and how big the park is? I mean, when I think about like Target Field, where he played parts of his first four seasons um, prior to coming over here, I start to think that like, you know, I think my immediate reaction, if I remember correctly, was that I didn't think it would be that much of a hindrance on his ability to consistently kind of just get on base the way he does with um, just his proficiency for bat-to-ball skills and not striking out. Um, you know, if if your MO isn't power, and his definitely isn't, then I didn't think it was something that was going to affect him all that much. I mean, we saw in the WBC when he hit those two home runs uh, in that Team Venezuela-USA game that – you know, like, okay, is he going to somehow buck a trend and just, like, hit for more power in Lone Depot Park? And realistically, I think we all could have said no. Like, that's just not the kind of hitter he is. So I wasn't all that concerned. Um, I think if you looked at park factors between Minnesota and Lone Depot Park in about the same span in which Arise was playing, I think that I would surmise to say they're relatively similar because of the way that Target Field does play. I mean, Minnesota – you know, did emphasize a lot of pitching when that ballpark first opened because they thought, all right, like it's kind of like City Field where we're just not going to allow all too many, you know, home runs there, um, especially the like left-handed hitters who who like to hit the home runs to the pull side. Um, the way that Arise likes to pull the ball at times, though he's shown his ability to hit it all fields. But yeah, again, I, I certainly back, I just don't think it was something that I was all that concerned about because I didn't think he was going to lose any, you know, power kind of going there because I don't think his game is catered towards that. And I think that's probably just why I was just so like, eh, like I'm not all that concerned about it because, you know, like, you know, what, what he does is so unique nowadays that it's just like, I don't really need to be concerned about anything beyond maybe the decline in hard hit rate. And like, that's like the one thing I was concerned about. I don't know if that's necessarily a ballpark factor rather than just, you know, I can't necessarily say age he's 26. So I don't know what it is, but you know, he, He's not known for his prodigious exit below. Um, and I, I don't think the ballpark affects that that much. I mean, with the with the nugget that Eli just gave, talking about his ability to kind of just hit the ball to shortstop for a guy like Birdie to work on his defense, you know, I don't think I don't think the ballpark's necessarily hurt him if he could still possess the ability to do something like that. So yeah, again, it's just not something that I was all that concerned about. The one thing that maybe as we see a larger sample play out at might come into play with Lundibo is it could just simply be the batter's eye that is really catered to him. The fact that his strikeout rate is even lower at home than at home than away, almost the same number of plate appearances. It's 11 strikeouts on the road, only four at home. His strikeout rate at in Miami is barely 3%. 3%. That's for a guy that's already leading the league, you know, in the sixes five-ish percent range. The fact that it gets even better when he's playing at home, I, I I think that's a factor that probably more so than the ballpark conditions is being a place where you can feel that you can really see the spin of a ball out of a guy's hand. As we touched on before, the fact that he is so amazing against all these different pitch types, and in fact, even better against the stuff that doesn't move straight, that maybe hints to me that he just feels that he can see so clearly um, at home. Vision is such a big part of this, it, right along with coordination. They kind of work hand in hand. It's seeing the ball exactly in, in that really crisp 
way where you can pick up the most subtle spin and anticipate where it's going to end up. And also, of course, that coordination that he has to replicate his swing in different places. Uh, yeah, I would um, I would speculate. I don't even think you have to speculate. I think he's mentioned this before, that he just really sees the ball so well at home, and that's making him perform even better there. Yeah, um, and with the rise, I want to go ahead, Lewis. I know you prepared in your in your hefty notes that you always go in-depth for us, so we really appreciate that you had some player comparisons um, for him. Maybe it could be all the way dating back uh, before the dead ball era. Uh, guys, now, to just well, how do you see Larissa Rise and maybe what are some players that compare to his style of play? I, I, I don't want to, you know, it, it's probably already tried at this point, but I've, you know, I've made the Tony Gwynn comparison multiple times here on the podcast, um, in our private conversations and on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen my, you know, Tony Gwynn, Larissa Rise slash line through games played, et cetera, et cetera, just to kind of echo the similarities that they have. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could just, just name, you know, a multitude of guys who kind of went about it the way that he did before, you know, Luke Appling, um, Paul Molitor, I, I mentioned Rod Carew, Gwynn. Um, you know, what's funny though, I had this kind of epiphany today. I thought about a rise because I make a lot of comparisons to Tony Gwynn and Luis Arise. But the one thing I don't mention is that earlier in his career, and this is something that can never necessarily be said about Arise on both ends of the ball, uh, Tony Green was an excellent base runner, and he was also an excellent defender. He won five gold gloves. He stole over 300 bases, if I'm not mistaken, during the um, duration of his 20-year career. Arise is kind of like, you know, it, it's very – it's it's a shame to the legacy of a guy like Tony Gwynn, who, again, a career 338 hitter. You know, the image that a lot of us have of him beyond the guy that was always getting hits is this kind of burly, kind of Santa Clausian almost looking figure at the plate, you know, heavier in his later years, um, not stealing bases the way. And I think about a rise now and I'm like, I feel like he's just like a smaller, slenderer version of the later Tony Gwynn minus the power and that he's not a good base runner. He's, I believe he's negative in base runs this year. Um, you can find those metrics on both fan graphs and baseball reference. But, um, you know, just, again, just with, like, the production beyond base running and um, early career defense, I think he's, you know, Gwen is the safest pick. And even if that's not the closest thing by way of Bill James' similarity score model, which you could find on baseball reference, I mean, that's just the the impression I get, given what his, the output of what he does is so frequently. Um, but yeah, I, I, the epiphany I was having was what I just said is like, I feel like we're watching later career Tony Gwynn, though that was a Gwynn that hit for a little bit more power um, with a rise now, because again, he's not stealing bases. The defense has declined um, the way that Gwynn did. Um, so yeah, it, it, he he's... And if you look at his similarity scores, I mean, there's the likes of Fred Tenney, Roger, Roger Breshnahan. These are guys that played before home runs became, like, commonplace. Um, and then you have guys like Gwynn. Um, so, again, he's 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 not of this time. He's a time-traveling, you know, Ty Cobb clone, et cetera. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, to sit and have comparisons about Arise, and I said this in a recent podcast we did here, you know, he's kind of just like, a time capsule. He's like looking at baseball the 
way that it was played before we had all we were overridden with numbers and um you know people were listening to games on radios he is like dead ball era baseball in 2023 yeah it's just all around it um with the rise and um in terms of maybe how, how do you believe his way of approaching it do you believe that can maybe even terms i don't know let's say that change the game if maybe you can understand me do you do you think he'll be kind of I don't want to say a revolutionary, but someone maybe people will look at and says, all right, if I play his way of the game, it, it's maybe something different to look back just because he is from that kind of time period that you mentioned, Lewis, all the way back then. Guys like Tony Gwynn, Wade Boggs, Paul Molitor, just all those guys. Do you think maybe his way of playing? Do you see it more? It could be more common in these years. Come, you don't have to have be thirty home runs type guy. You can be contact hitter get your singles hit and still have that success. Well, this is kind of reminds me of the conversation in basketball over the last decade or so is, is Stephen Curry going to inspire a new wave of players that play like yeah. Steph. Mm-hmm. But the, what, what you find out is that <laughs> even though it's not conventionally like all inspiring athleticism, it is still generational talent. This mm-hmm. talent that as I touched on the combination of vision and coordination like a lot of that can't be taught. A lot of that is somebody that just did get fortunate and that has obviously put in tireless work to hone his swing. Like just to go back to another anecdote from, I think that same story uh, from Jesse Rogers about him arise, taking swings in his hotel room on the road before even going to the ballpark that day, just refining it, refining it and like training his muscles to replicate the same thing. It is kind of akin to, a basketball player like working tirelessly in the gym, taking shot after shot after shot so that when the real games happen and when the speed of the game obviously accelerates that they're able to still fall back on what they've practiced so tirelessly and perform that way. So that's, yeah, that's the short answer. Uh, he is, even though it's not like the, he, um, that level of athleticism that is, that really jumps off the the screen. Like when you actually watch him closely, it is every bit as special what he's doing and as difficult to replicate. If it was, it's not as simple as people like catering their swings and being able to run a, a single digit strikeout rate at the major league level. Otherwise more people would do it if it was like a reasonable possibility to do that. And I, I think he is just pretty special in that regard, even though he's prioritizing the old school stuff. Um, but it, it takes a certain amount of just amazing skill in order to actually put it all together on the field like this. He's baseball's Haley's Comet. I mean, that's <laughs> that's really all all that can be said. You know, Haley's Comet comes around every seventy five or so years. Um, feels like every twenty five years we're gonna probably get a hitter akin to a, an Aluisa Rise or a Tony Gwynn. Um, but yeah, definitely uh-huh. think we just espouse or wax poetic on him for uh, the better part of 40 minutes, so. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
Yeah, and um, before we end it, um, you know, we like to have our own different types of subjects to end the show, and this one will be Pivotal Plays. Um, Eli, you have the idea for this, Pivotal Plays, uh, especially coming up with uh, that Sanchez uh, home run against Seattle the other day. Uh, talk to me about Pivotal Plays, especially for Luis Arise and maybe how underrated maybe his fielding is compared um, to his hitting, which we spend most of the pot on. But for this uh, stat head segment, ran a query on on one probability added. I think people are familiar with this. It just adjusts for the context of the game when when something happens. Something that happens in a high leverage moment in a close game in the later innings is more impactful than something that happens early on. And just on Wednesday, we saw this Jesus Sanchez catch. The Marlins were up four nothing at the time. Just two more outs to get to close out the game. Uh, so they're win probability was 90% and he makes an amazing leaping catch for a guy that's not well known for his defense. Um, make just an incredible catch to literally rob a home run and turn it into a sack fly and essentially put the game away. Now the next offering, so we're going to drive hit pretty deep right field. Sanchez going back at the wall. He leaps. He made the catch. He made the catch. He just robbed Suarez of a grand slam here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Unbelievable game, saving grab by Jesus Sanchez in right field. Otherwise, there would have been a game time grand slam on the road against a team that's already beat you the previous two nights. It doesn't show up on a search like this, but when it in Stathead, what it does is it looks at actual hits that occurred either for the Marlins or against the Marlins this season. And just going through them, I, I think people will kind of recognize them. Uh, the ones at the top certainly will sound very familiar. The Jorge Soler walk-off home run against the Nats just a few weeks ago when the Marlins were trailing in the game. And there was two outs um, for them to go from trailing to obviously winning on that particular play. The win probability on that particular home run was 0.86% WPA right there, going from a very likely loss uh, to clinching that. the win in just one swing. Um, so that was a clear number one and not that far behind just during this current road trip is that Brian Dela Cruz go ahead mm -hmm. to run double that again, when you go from behind late in the game and being on the cusp of losing to now being in firm control of the game, that's, these are the type of plays that we're talking about. There's a Garrett Cooper, uh, go ahead hit against the Braves when, uh, that was the rain delay game, uh, where they were on the verge of being swept there. And after, um, Actually, this may have been like a game. Yeah, I think this was a one that put them ahead in the top of the ninth, and they end up winning that game as well. Uh, there have been a few of these. There was another clutch home run by Jorge Soler against Logan Webb. I think that may have been against the Giants. It was a relatively good game. There have been a couple against the Marlins as well, like uh, Eddie Rosario against Dylan Floro uh, in a game that uh, I think that was a tie game, and Rosario put the Braves ahead for good in that one. There was the Michael Conforto against Devin Smeltzer. That was a oh, yeah. long extra inning game when the Marlins ran out of viable arms. No offense to Smeltzer. And Conforto was the one that finally broke through for the Giants. Jake Fraley game. I remember that. And Jake, and Jake Fraley, that Sandy game. Sandy had the lead relatively late in the game, and Fraley with a, a three-run home run there. Uh, so just looking at the numbers, all these are like um, at least – 0.33 or higher, you know, at least a 33% swing in win probability. And this is just a, going back to the Sanchez catch at the time at that play, the Marlins had a 90% chance to win. And if that ball goes over the wall and if it ties the game at four, 
on the road against this Mariners team, then that win probability goes from 90% to probably a little bit below 50. You know, the, the Mariners would have been now favored to win at that point, given that they were batting with a chance to like take a tie game and go ahead. So the WPA of that play, even though it doesn't show up in a search like this, I think the difference between him making that catch and the ball going over the wall is more than 40% conservatively. It's like it's in the low 40s, that one play, him being able to bring that home run back and turn it into an out. And if you put it if you put it up against these other plays, and it is right up there. It is right up there with that Gene Segura hit against Josh Hader. It is right up there yeah. right with um, that Jorge Soler home run against Logan Webb. And as a couple of those plays I mentioned that went against the Marlins. And even one from uh, Luis Arise, I remember that. He grounded into a double play. Let me see. Was that, was that a losing play? I'm trying to remember if that actually drove in the go-ahead run. Um Oh, that was yeah. That was one on the the negative end where Arise. That was the one. That was a rare opportunity where he actually um, let the team down in that situation, uh, hitting into a double play when the bases were loaded, and the Marlins ended up winning the same game. So that's funny how it's two plays on opposite ends from the same game show up here when Arise hit into a double play that ruins a, a Marlins rally, and then the Marlins end up you know w- walking off that game anyway. Uh, a couple the, the very next ending against the different relievers that sanchez play this is just a long way of saying that that was one of the more impactful individual moments of this marlin season for somebody in sanchez that when he's been healthy this year he is playing the best baseball of his career yeah um you can just see the impact everyone there solaire um segura everyone um but that's going to do it for this episode talking about Luis rise we could go another 44 minutes if not another 44 hours um on on the league letter and hits for the Marlins and all of Major League Baseball. But as always, if you love fishology, we love advanced stats and analytical look on the Marlins and how they shape up um, as a team, individual, and across the league. Subscribe to fishology. Subscribe to fish on first. We have everything for you. Make sure you're a super subscriber for the low, low price of only $3. I'm Danny Rodriguez. We have Eli Sussman, Louis Adeo Wise. This has been Fishology. Always go fish. <laughs>